I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you're in first through third grade, you can slip out to our children's church. First through third graders, you can slip out to our children's church at this time. The rest of us are turning the book of Ecclesiastes. You see on your worship guide there, on the front of your worship guide, we've uh, I've started including uh, what we'll be preaching on next Sunday morning and next Sunday evening. We'll be finishing up Ecclesiastes this morning. And then I'll be pulling three topics that Ecclesiastes has brought out for us and looking at those topics from a biblical perspective. I don't usually preach topical sermons, but I think in this realm it will be helpful for us. I'll be doing a message on the concept of work that Ecclesiastes addresses for us. Then I'll be doing a message on the concept of rest, biblical theology of work, theology of rest, and then thirdly, a theology of suffering. So that will outline the next three weeks for us, three topics that Ecclesiastes has brought to the forefront that I think it will be helpful for us to address from a full biblical perspective. I'd also like to encourage you to come Sunday evenings, both tonight and next Sunday night, as coinciding with the next three messages, Pastor Ben is going to be unfolding for us in the next two weeks a concept of what a biblical Sabbath is. There's a lot of confusion as to what the biblical Sabbath is, when it was uh, given, how we should recognize the Sabbath today. And so over the next two weeks in our evenings, Pastor Ben will be unfolding that for us. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We'll read the entirety of the chapter and then go to the Lord in prayer. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light of the light and the moon, and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low they are afraid also of what is high terrors are in the way the almond tree blossoms the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust remain, returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight. Uprightly, he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Father, with the next few moments, would you bring understanding to our hearts, open our eyes to your word, give us humility to obey. In your name we pray. Amen. At the conclusion of the book, in my Bible, I have written, Life is hard, God is good. 
As humans on this earth, we're held captive to a world that is filled with shadows of vanity. Yet being made in the image of God, we have eternity framed on our hearts. We've seen this tension and conflict evidenced all through the book of Ecclesiastes in the last several months of saying we live in the world of shadows and yet I have reality that's been etched on my heart that I long for. There's a conflict in the heart of the Christian between living in these shadowlands and longing for heaven. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you're willing to be brutally honest with the world around you, really, in essence, you only have two conclusions you can come to. You realize that nothing here will satisfy, that joy is fleeting on this world, and so you only have two conclusions. One would be to live in depression, recognizing that you're living in a world that promises satisfaction, but always fails to deliver that, and so I live my life in depression. The other option is to live my life as a hedonist, living life to the fullest and constantly drowning out all the noise of dissatisfaction around me, the noise of folly that's coming from the streets, rather than listening to the truth that's coming from my heart, I'm going to drown it out as a hedonist, I'm going to pursue joy the best I can. But really they both end in pain and sadness, because the true longing of the human heart is never filled with the things of this earth. The needs of your soul will never be met here. However, as believers, God has given us an incredible third option. This option gives us both purpose and fulfillment in this life, as well as hope for the next. And it's given to us in verse 13. Look down there with me, if you would. Verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. This is the answer you've been longing for. It's the apex of the entire sermon from Solomon. It's the solution that your heart longs for. He wraps everything up with this one statement. This is it. If you miss it, you miss everything about the book of Ecclesiastes. So don't miss it. This is the end. Fear God and keep his commandments. I think... Chapter 12 really gives us, in essence, a summarization of that phrase, fear God, keep his commandments. And I'd like to give it to you in four different points this morning. If you were to live out your life in the fear of the Lord, there would be four characteristics that would be true of your life. Four characteristics of a life that lives in the fear of God. Number one, total devotion to God, seen in verses 1 through 8. Number two, a continual pursuit of biblical knowledge. Number three, an openness to painful conviction. And number four, fearful, focused obedience. So let's look at these one at a time. In verses 1 through 8, we see that a life that lives in the fear of the Lord is lived in total devotion to God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember also your Creator. It's a call to devotion. It's a call to remember. The word remember carries with it the idea of drawing something to the forefront of your minds. Not as though you've forgotten it in the past, but it's something that's a part of your life that you are now bringing all the way to the surface to fully devote yourself to this one thing, to remember. It's going back to the fundamentals. I remember in high school as we played baseball, we had a, a very good coach, and often he would remind us of the fundamentals of hitting a baseball. There are many aspects of hitting a baseball that you have to know. One of the hardest things in all of sports to do 
But the fundamentals are keep your head in. Why? Because when the baseball is coming at you at 90 to 95 miles an hour and it's screaming coming in really close to your body, what's your first response? To pull back. And one of the basic fundamentals that every batter must remember is to keep your head in. And so often in batting practice, you'd hear him very graciously yelling at us, keep your head in, no matter how close the ball comes to your body. Live with a God consciousness. Push God to the front and center of your life. Remember your creator. You have the call to devotion and remember, but then you have the object of the devotion there that God is your creator. This is once again the Holy Spirit reminding us of our position as the creature and God's position as the creator. As we've learned over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, One of the hardest truths in life to remember and keep in the forefront of your mind is that there is one God and you are not him. So often we want to step into that role and to try to take control and sovereignty over our own lives, over everything that we do. And One of the hardest things in life is to remember that there is a God who is reigning and who is in full control and you are not him and I am. Am not him. It is this truth to remember your creator that anchors us in our sin struggles as we remember that what God brings into our life is what's best for us. It's that truth that brings us rest when we struggle with worry and anxiety about the future as we recognize that God is already there and is truly working everything for his glory and for our good. So recognizing and remembering God as your creator puts everything into the proper focus, but Solomon's drive here in this passage is to call you to be devoted to your creator, but his his emphasis in this phrase is on those last three words there. Remember the creator in the days of your youth. Perhaps you see this phrase and you think to yourself well I'm off the hook for that one at least in this message because I'm no longer a youth right well don't tune out yet Solomon is using this phrase to emphasize the timing of when you should devote yourself to your creator in other words it's not in the future it's right now you know a common phrase that is used among kids is this when I grow up When I grow up, I'm going to be. When I grow up, I'm going to do. And as we get older, sometimes we forget to stop using that phrase. And we think, someday in the future, I'm going to live for God. Yes, I'll I'll begin giving to support gospel ministry, but just not now. Let me wait until I have another $10,000 a year coming in. Yes, I I will step out in obedience and share the message of the gospel tomorrow kind of like diets isn't it diets always begin tomorrow i always joke around during the easter season and say i decided to give up my diet for lent right because that's kind of how we have have this mindset of i'll I'll fix it tomorrow i'll wait and solomon is saying no 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 it's not about tomorrow it's about right now remember your creator now why what's his purpose in saying in the days of your youth Well, in verses 1 through 8, beginning with the end of verse 1, 
he begins to unfold the fact that the reason why you need to be totally devoted to God right now is because hard days are coming. Look at the end of verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Why? Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. You need a solid biblical foundation of truth during the times of peace in your life so that your heart has an anchor during the difficult times to come. Make no mistake, friend, there are hard days ahead of you. It is not in those hard days that you will become grounded in Scripture. It is not in those moments of suffering that you will all of a sudden become knowledgeable about who God is and how it applies to your life. When trials come into your life, who you are in Christ and how well you've been preparing in your spiritual walk finally reveals itself. Perhaps there's been someone in your life that you have seen and they have carried on the facade of a Christian walk until trials come and they either walk away from the faith or they flounder without God. Because in those moments of peace and rest, they did not dig deep into the Scripture. An Olympian does not become a master at his sport when he or she walks out onto the court that day. The soldier does not become a soldier when he's dropped onto the battlefield. Both of, these situation involves, both of these situations involve months and years of planning and preparation and dedication so that in those moments of competition, in those moments of battle, the depth of training is finally revealed. How many times when the Olympics roll around do you hear the testimony, I have prepared my entire life for this one moment. And the rest of us with potato chips in our hands watched them on the balance beam and thought, man, you shouldn't have tripped. (laughs) Right? And they realize that it's in those moments that all of the hard work and dedication pays off. And what Solomon wants you to see in verses 1 through 8 is that you must be dedicated to God now. You must prepare for those moments, friends, because hard times are coming. Suffering is around the corner. And in those moments, you will need every Bible verse you've ever memorized. You will need deep doctrinal truth to carry you through. Solomon is referencing the hard times of life, the difficulties that lie ahead of you. And he does this, and look in verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. When your life that seems so full of light now all of a sudden becomes dark. It's only the light of the word of God and your relationship with Christ that will preserve you during those times. He even mentions at the end of verse 2, moments of anxiety and depression. When the clouds return after the rain. That that storm that, that brings the rain passes by and you think it's over only to see the clouds return. And as some of you have given testimony, it's during those times of hardship and suffering that you go to read the Scripture and your eyes can't even comprehend what you're reading. And so you sit and you listen. You listen to music. You listen to the Word of God. 
and you only have what you've learned before to fall back on. Whatever you go into the struggles in your life with is all that you have. Remember your creator now to prepare for those times. Beginning in verse 3, Solomon references a specific time of hardship that many in our room can, can give testimony for, and that is the times of life in your later years. And there's some debate in verses 3 through 8, whether it's, it's a giant allegory of the body falling apart, the keepers of the house tremble, that would be your, your, your body parts start to shake and the strong men are bent over and the grinders, that's where your teeth cease because they're few. And those who look through the window are dimmed, your eyes are growing dim. There are many who would look at that and say, this is, a, is, a, is an allegory for old age. Many of you would say, amen, Right? And there are perhaps others who would say, well, this is actually a picture of, of the mourners as they walk through the streets because someone is dying. And it, it's all the same, depending on how you want to take these verses. It draws you to the same conclusion that there are times coming in your life that will be hard because you can't escape old age. People spend lots of money to try to not get older, and none of it works. Old age happens. It's part of life. Either way you look at this passage, you come to verse 6 and you recognize that old age will come to everyone in this room and death will come to everyone in this room. There are six metaphors given of Scripture's death. Death is like a, a silver cord being snapped. Light is put out cut a golden bowl a beautiful work of art that's now shattered a wheel or excuse me a pitcher that is shattered at the fountain a pitcher that was used to draw water up now broken no longer able to draw the waters of life a wheel that is broken at the cistern meaning that this person is no longer useful in doing what you would be called to do the dust returns to the earth as it was. Life is hard. And death is sure. But yet there's hope. Look at the end of verse 6. Or the end of verse 7. And the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Friend, there's hope that even though your outer shell is wasting away day by day, yet your inner self is being renewed in the Spirit of God. And one day, though your body is laid to rest in in the ground, it will simply be a temporary holding place until the resurrection of Christ. For to close your eyes here on this earth is to open your eyes in heaven and the soul to be present with the Lord, present in that intermediate state, waiting the resurrection of the body, given a temporary body, present with Jesus. Heaven is a real place because there's a real man sitting on the right hand of God the Father there, and he's present there right now. And friend, when your body dies on this earth, so you will be given a temporary body in heaven in that real place called heaven, awaiting the resurrection of God, of uh, when Jesus' return, the resurrection of the body. And so being alive on the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity. And so as your body is wasted away and every morning 
the creaks and the groans and the pain is so evident, be reminded that heaven is real. And your spirit will be returned there. I don't say this out of experience. I say this out of trust from those who have been there that all of this aging will happen so fast. That you blink and and, and your life is, the majority of your life is behind you. And so Solomon concludes in verse 8, vanity of vanities, all this is vanity. It's, It's so short that we look at our life and And we recognize now as those who are younger to look forward and to say, if I will blink and it will be gone, then what do I do? I take advantage of every moment. And I don't live in open sin and I don't hold on to past grudges because life is so short and it's fleeting and and it's havel, it's a breath, breath of breaths. Life is but a breath. Because life is just a breath, devote yourself to God now Don't wait until later because there may not be a later. And in those later moments, you will need what you have now. When I first became an assistant pastor, a youth pastor in Indianapolis, I stepped in as a young buck who was coming in and trying not to absolutely destroy a youth group and and, and on a short leash, right? And my... The guy I was serving with, my senior pastor, came and he sat in and he said, Joe, I want to give you some advice. Right now you don't have any kids. You need to dig deep into Scripture now. You need to go deep. You need to study hard. Because as your life progresses and, and as you have children and as your ministry responsibilities get greater, the time will go by more quickly. And that was the best advice I ever got in ministry. And friend, if you have time now, don't waste it solely on fruitless pursuits of video games and hobbies. None of those are sinful. But there's coming a day when you will need all the spiritual knowledge you can get. So gain it now. Life is a breath. Friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian... Life is a breath, and one day you will stand before God. Don't delay in accepting Jesus as your only Savior. Secondly, a continual pursuit of biblical knowledge, verses 9 and 10. A continual pursuit of biblical knowledge. Besides, the the end of the sermon is in verse 8. Okay, so he's been giving us a sermon all the way from chapter 1 in in verse 2. So chapter 1 and verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, and then he begins his sermon, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's the first part of his sermon. The conclusion of his sermon, chapter 12 and verse 8, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do you think the the title, the, the theme of his sermon is? Life is so short, don't miss it. And then he comes out of his sermon and gives a little bit of, of wisdom at the end. You could say he steps out into being a narrator. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, verse 9, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Solomon, Solomon transitions from preaching 
to, living, to giving a little bit of narration about life from his perspective. Notice the focus on the, on the word words. Okay, I'm going to say it again so you don't miss it. Notice his focus on the word words, how he uses that. The preacher also taught the people knowledge. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth, the words of the wise. He continues in verse 11. Because knowledge comes through words. God chose to reveal himself through the written word. And if you say, Pastor John, I'm not a very good reader, then you need to become a better reader. Because going to heaven and giving an account of your life and saying, sorry God, I never really got to know the Bible because I wasn't a good reader is not going to cut it. God chose to reveal himself in words. And through the word of God, you discover who God is. Listen carefully. If you don't know your Bible, your view of God is wrong. That doesn't mean you're not saved. That means that you have developed your view of God through experiences, through maybe films, very dangerous. You've developed your view of God through these, through maybe what people have told you versus how God wants you to receive the knowledge of who He is. Knowledge Words give you knowledge. Knowledge informs your worship. R.C. Sproul said it this way. The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think of God. The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think of God. And if it's not right, then friends, we need to dig into Scripture to figure out who God is. I'm going to make a shameless plug for our Bible Institute class. I know not everybody can be available during the times that we offer it on Tuesday nights in the month of March. But we're going to be digging deeply into the concept of knowing who God is. Looking at what Scripture says, looking at His attributes. Combined with that, I'm going to be preaching a series after we finish the next three in Ecclesiastes on the attributes of God. Because the most important thing is that you get God right. And friends, you have to get Jesus right because your eternity depends on it. Words. Knowledge about who God is. The second step is the use of this knowledge. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 9 and 10. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. It talks about how we use what we know. It's not about just knowing what is right. You must do what is right. Verse 10, words of delight, words of truth. This tells us all about Scripture, that God has chosen to reveal Himself in the words of Scripture that's been arranged with great care through the inspiration of God. And your responsibility is to know those words. If the only thing you knew in life was the Bible, you would be well rewarded in eternity. I don't know how to build things. I don't know how to make things. I don't, I don't know how to do math very well. I don't know a lot of science, but I know my Bible. To know God. 
The most important activity for your personal spiritual growth is for you to be reading the Bible. I don't understand all of it, Pastor Joe. That's fine. There are portions that I have to work really, really, really hard to understand as well. But would you get a translation that that you can understand to the best of your ability, and would you just read it? My wife and I are doing something different this year. We're listening to the Bible through, through the year. And the Dwell Bible app, it's a wonderful Bible app that chronologically you can hear and listen. And it's amazing what sticks out as you listen to it rather than what you read. Sometimes you can read and listen at the same time. Just read the Bible. Make a commitment to God that you will obey what you read. Take steps to understand the Bible more. Friend, you will be held accountable to how well you know the Bible. Knowledge of Scripture. Thirdly, openness to painful conviction. Openness to painful conviction, verses 11 and 12. What does a life look like that fears the Lord, totally devoted to God, continually pursuing biblical knowledge, open to painful conviction? Look at verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. That's a cattle prod. That's something that comes into your life that stings or hurts a little bit in order to motivate you into the right direction. Like nails firmly fixed, you can count on them, are the collected sayings. That's talking about Scripture. They are given by one shepherd. The Word of God in your life will act like a a, a goading prod to set you on the right path and where you're going. It will get you moving when you're stalled, and it will direct you in your journey. The Word of God are like nails firmly fixed. They're, they're perfectly set fasteners to support and uphold the building. But the first thing that Solomon tells us is that these words are painful. Listen to Solomon's words in Proverbs. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know, often we grow more from pain than we do from ease. And those who come into your life and are willing to say the hard things that are willing to come in and say, hey, can, can I share a little bit of truth with you here? And I know it might not be easy to hear, but this is the truth in your life. A wise person, one who fears the Lord, treasures those. And often when you read Scripture or when you're listening to a sermon or when you're listening to Scripture, you go, ooh, That one hurt. And it's God's cattle prod prompting you into obedience and joy. Psalm 141.5, let a righteous man strike me. It is kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let not my head refuse it. A genuine friend will tell you the truth because God is a kind, loving Father revealing the truth about your own life. You can trust Him because look at verse 11. They are given by a shepherd. When a shepherd is driving sheep to greener pastures and keeping them from dangerous outcroppings or perhaps you know, food that would be dangerous for them to eat, 
as he is driving the flock and leading the flock. There may be times when the shepherd steps in on one side or steps in on the other or says, whoa, don't go that way, or you want to go this way. And it's driven from a heart of love. So you can trust God for what is best. Look at verse 12 for me. Where do these convictions come from? They come from Scripture. They also come from books that unfold truths of Scripture for you. My son, beware of anything beyond these. He's talking about the collected truths of Scripture. Beware of anything beyond these. Be careful of making many books. There is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. He doesn't say don't read anything but the Bible. He says be careful, be aware that there are many books that would go beyond Scripture or maybe that would expound Scripture wrongly. So I have two thoughts for you based on verse 12. Number one, read good books but live in the Bible. That's a phrase that's actually on our resource center as we have lots of books that have been curated for you from different Christian perspectives and they're all chosen by our pastors and proofed by our pastors to say these will be beneficial in your spiritual walk. And there's a quote that says, read good books, but live in the Bible. Don't neglect the scripture for good books. The guide in your life should be the word of God. If you find in your life that you're relying on other books more than you're relying on the Bible, you're in a very dangerous place. Read good books, but live in the Bible. Secondly, be aware that there are many books that will seek to destabilize your faith, Books filled with lies and unbiblical teachings. Be careful what you allow into your mind. Everything that's written and that is published is not true. Books are printed and published because they make money. Not necessarily because they reflect the Bible accurately. Every book that claims to be a Christian book is not. Every author who claims to be expounding biblical truth is not. It's difficult to know what to read. So many of you have come up and asked, I'm looking for a good Christian book on this topic, but I don't know where to turn. And friend, that's why we started the Resource Corner, the Resource Center there in the lobby. And we're going to be continually adding to it as we continue to lead you spiritually as you've asked us to, to examine Scripture and examine people's writings in regards to Scripture and say these are helpful and these are true. Pastor Ben has a stamp that we like to use every once in a while. I think I've told you about this before. It's a red stamp that we place on certain books that says heretical nonsense for research purposes only. And I feel like we need another resource center filled with popular books. And the title of the resource center is Don't Read These. But if we do that, then of course you'll go and you'll read them. So we're not going to do that. right? Heretical nonsense. Read them for research and to know what the lies are, friends. But just be careful. There's an old phrase that an old country preacher used to say all the time that I heard. And he would say, if it's new... It's not true. That doesn't mean that new books don't contain truth. That means that if somebody says, I've discovered something in Scripture that nobody has ever discovered before, listen to me, you should go, "Eh." right? Because our responsibility is not to be novel and not to be new. It's simply to perpetuate the teachings of Scripture 
Don't evaluate the Bible based on man's words. Evaluate what people say based on what God says. Know your Bible. Lastly, a life lived in the fear of God is characterized by fearful, focused obedience. Verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Very rarely does the book of the Bible say, okay, listen up. If you, don't, if you didn't read anything else, just read this. That's what Solomon's doing. He's like, listen, the end of the matter. We, we've gone to and fro. We've wandered up and down, you know, different trails. We've talked about so many things. We've looked at life. We've looked at death. We've looked at hardship. We've looked at blessing. We've looked at money. We've looked at everything that Ecclesiastes has to offer. And Solomon brings it all together. And he says, the end of the matter, here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. And so the third characteristic is fearful, focused obedience. Fearful, focused obedience. This is the conclusion of all of life. Pastor Joe, what am I supposed to do? Fear God, keep his commandments. What car am I supposed to buy? Fear God, keep his commandments. Put God first. This is the main thing, your one pursuit. You say, how does that help me in buying a car? Well, you run it through the lens of how this helps you, as we'll see next week, work for the kingdom of God. Will this be helpful in my spiritual life or hurtful? If neither, if it's a neutral, love God, do what you will. But if you put God first, you're going to make the right decision because you're going to be asking yourself the question, does this help me love God or not? Does this encourage me in my spiritual walk or not? Fear God, keep his commandments. I mean, how much more simple would our lives be and how much easier would our lives be if we said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fear God. I'm going to keep his commandments. Every decision I have to make, I'm going to ask the question, does this help me fear God more? Does it help me love God more? If not, no, I'm not going to do it. Or maybe I'll wait till it does help me love God more, if that would be possible later in life. But right now I'm going to fear God. I'm going to keep his commandments. This is your duty. This is your focus in life. Your life is not about a divine list of do's and don'ts. Your life is about pursuing a person. Of pursuing Christ. Of fearing God. Of loving Him first and foremost. Of saying, in my pursuit of Christ, does this help me do that? Fear God. Keep his, keep his commandments. Why is this so important? What is the motivating factor that's going to keep me in that lane? Look at verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Friend, What is your motivation for fearing God and keeping his commandments? Because one day you will give an account. One day you will kneel before God with no one or nothing, all by yourself. And you will give an account as to how you've lived your life. Not to gain entrance into heaven. That's by grace through faith alone. But you will give an account as to how you lived your life, and that account will affect your, the rest of your life for all of eternity. Pastor Joe, what do you mean by that? I, 
I don't know all the answers of what that means, but I know that those who live their life for God here will find a reward in eternity. And it will be worth it to live for God. It will be worth it to fear God and keep His commandments. So we come to the end. The end of my sermon, the end of chapter 12, the end of Solomon's sermon, and the end of Ecclesiastes. And we walk away and we recognize that if we heed the words of Solomon, this could be the end not only of the book, but also the end of what your heart longs for. To find your identity in Jesus Christ. To recognize that life is hard, but God is good. So we ask the question, why did God put you here in this world? With reality etched on your heart, I think it's a legitimate question. God, if nothing in this world will satisfy, why did you put me here? Right? Like, like if the joys that are found are fleeting, then why would you put me in this world? Why has God left you on this earth filled with vanity? And yet your heart longs for purpose. Why has God reminded you that everything in your life is transient? Even though in the deepest recesses of your soul, you're longing for something that lasts. Why would God do that to you? So that you would be reminded that satisfaction and fulfillment only comes from him. <clears throat> if God placed you in a world where all your needs were met and all your joys were full, you wouldn't need God. You wouldn't have a crying in your heart that something here is broken and needs to be fixed. Like when you watch the news, I hope there's like a stirring in your heart that's like something, something is wrong. And that stirring is to drive you to God. It's to remind you of eternity. I believe we can sum up the book of Ecclesiastes in two words. Rejoice and remember. Rejoice and remember. Rejoice in this life and all that you can because it's fleeting from God, but you rejoice in recognizing that the, that the joys that you find and the happiness that you find will not fully satisfy you. But you can rejoice in part of it. You can, you can enjoy a shadow for what it is. You can rejoice in the joys that are offered. You can rejoice in a good meal before the face of God, recognizing that you'll be hungry again, and after you eat it, it's gone. You can rejoice in the wife of your youth or the husband of your youth, recognizing that one day, one of you will be left alone. But while you're here, you can rejoice in every single one of those moments because embracing the transient actually frees you up to really enjoy what God has provided. And so enjoy your children now before they're grown. Enjoy the life that you have. And some of you look at verses 1 through 8 and you say, that sounds a lot like my life. That the sun seems to be setting on my time on this earth. But friends, you're not gone yet. And so rejoice in what life God has given you here while you long for the next. Embracing Havel, this transience of life, actually gives you a chance to rejoice. 
So rejoice. Secondly, remember. Remember. Remember God. In the midst of your rejoicing, remember judgment. Remember that truth lies in Scripture. Remember in the midst of your joyous parties and reveling and times of feasting that it's simply a shadow of the fulfilling joy that is to come. And so in this life, Solomon says two things. Rejoice in what you have. And in that rejoicing, remember God and his judgment. And may God give us the grace to live with that mindset on this earth that we can be pleasing to him in everything that we do as we fear God and keep his commandments. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have given us this truth that we can anchor our hearts in. Our hearts are full from the song service and the remembering of your sacrifice for us. May our lives be filled with joy, but also be filled with a remembrance of truth. May we love you beyond anything else in our life, recognizing you as our final end. May we recognize the transient of transience of what is around us. Be reminded that eternity looms so closely on the horizon that we find our joy and our satisfaction totally fulfilled in you as we experience the shadows of joy on this earth. May we fear you and obey you above all else. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you take a moment just to respond and reflect on the truth you've heard this morning? God has been so kind to reveal the book of Ecclesiastes to us, to help us have an earthy perspective and yet a heavenly perspective combined. Would you reflect on the truth you've heard and respond in your heart while the instrument plays?